0: Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Here to talk all things hockey. Are your hosts Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger.
1: Am I weird for thinking Kyle Dubas tripping fans from the box is completely hilarious and not at all like a controversy. Like everything that's happened in that series that is not something to be uh you know picked apart. Like it's just funny.
2: Yeah, it's hilarious. I think it's great. We need more of that.
1: From the champion of I Love Violence. Thank you. I knew, Evan, you would be uh, on that side. It's been some kind of a uh, playoff so far. Like I don't think there have been too many disappointing series. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi keeps on doing exactly what we all knew Tyler Bertuzzi would do in the playoffs. Tampa Bay, Toronto is going to be a bloodbath no matter how it ends up. And it's just an absolute tire fire in some respects, only in good ways, I feel.
3: Yeah. The first round is always maximum chaos when it comes to not just hockey playoffs, but I feel like all playoffs Um, hockey's first round is without comparables and from the officiating, which we won't get into to the rivalries to the absolute randomness of some weird upsets and some weird blowouts and a lot of weird goals uh, like and more weird instances like Sebastian Aho on Sebastian Aho violence it's just it's pure chaos and every night when i sit down and watch hockey right now i get sadder and sadder knowing how long it's been since the red wings w- were able to participate in this madness and every game i watch the more uh the slow rebuild mentality feels like it needs to be sped up just a little bit
1: well as we enjoy this best time of year we have two options for this episode uh, first being a you know, two-hour complete teardown of officiating reviews, whether that puck actually hit the blade. We are absolutely not going to make anyone suffer that. Uh, Brad's forehead veins are already at max size, so we can't push the limits on that. So instead for this episode, what we're going to do is take a pause in our Detroit Red Wings season in review series and step sideways into uh, a... Big, broad look into the 2023 NHL Draft. We haven't done a profile in a few episodes because of our season in review, so to make it up to you, uh, we have a, a special episode on this one. So you'll notice that we're remote uh, for this portion, uh, and that's just because of the way this epi- episode shook out. I actually just got back from a quick little holiday Um, But uh, you're going to hear us uh, uh, talk about the NHL draft with a very special guest in a moment. But for now, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast, all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, playoffs, the world of the NHL, prospects and more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Like I mentioned on this episode of the podcast, we are going to be joined by Tony Ferrari of the Hockey News and Game Tape with Tony to give us a really, really deep look into uh, not just the top players, the Connor Bedard, the Adam Fantilli, the Matt Vait of the NHL draft. Uh, he gives us a look at you know a lot of the 2023 first round prospects, and even uh, more beyond that, uh, a longer interview than we uh, usually do, and that's because we want to kind of give a, a really good primer into what we're we're looking forward to this summer with the draft. The Red Wings are going to have two first round picks, uh, and then beyond that, we are going to maybe do a quick tankathon just to infuriate Brad a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about some quick bulletin board items for the Red Wings, uh, the NHL, and then we'll get into answering your questions uh, for overtime. Very quickly, uh, a couple things that we want to call attention to. First of all, uh, if you want to support the show uh, and if you want to support, you know, the expanding Windwheel podcast content network, uh, which is uh, the first expansion podcast is expected by whom, uh, which is hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. Uh, the way to do that is to support us uh, on Patreon, winged, or patreon.com slash Windwheel Podcast. Uh, the benefits are you get access to our Patreon exclusive overtime bonus episodes, which record right after the main ones. You get access to our uh, our Patreon exclusive Wheel Podcast Discord, and you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. We give away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, and the vast majority of them went directly to patrons. Again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. If you're able to support the show, it's greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, secondly, Wings Money on the Board. Uh, it is our initiative to help support the Jamie Daniels Foundation. We want to raise $50,000 for this uh, season. We're going to run it through the draft uh, and through free agency. But if you've made a pledge, uh, keep an eye out on your email. You got an email from us or Personth on how to cash in that pledge. Uh, and if you haven't made a pledge, you still can. We're going to be giving away jerseys. We're going to be giving away uh, special co-branded Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast hats. Uh, a lot of great prizes in there, and it supports a great cause with the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight against substance use disorder. So uh, thank you all for your support with Wings Money on the Board. All right, let's jump right into it. Uh, the 2023 NHL Draft is full, chalk full of storylines, and one that... Uh, with where the Red Wings are likely to be picking, is it going to be the Connor Bedard area? Uh, statistics say no, but there is still a lot to be had at, you know, potentially picks 9 and 18, for example. And so it's good to kind of look at the first round collectively to to really see what Steve Eisman, Derek Lalonde, and company are working with, uh, especially if they want to, you know, trade picks, which is what, something that people are asking about quite a bit. So without further ado, enjoy this interview with Tony Ferrari of the Hockey News. It's that season, Tony. NHL games aren't being played anymore. You have me buzzing your phone 24-7 until you agree to come back on the show. Folks, uh, draft expert and our favorite ball draft analyst, uh, Tony Ferrari has uh, rejoined us once again on the Winged Wheel podcast. Tony from the Hockey News and all of his prolific draft profiling over the past few years. How have you been, man?
0: I've been good. I've been good. But, Ryan, you're mistaken. There are NHL games, just not Red Wings games. (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry. Leafs games will be over in a week and a half anyways.
1: You know what? If they've ever been favored in a series, it's this one. Uh, So we're recording this uh, on Sunday, April 16th, and this is going to be hopefully a a whopper of an episode to give folks uh, some really good professional insight into the 2023 NHL draft. Tony, we were just talking about uh, preparing and gearing up for pretty much what's going to be high season for you. So what does that look like in your world?
0: Uh, It means I cancel all social events. I don't do a whole lot aside from watch more and more video of these kids. I've I've seemingly watched hours upon hours of video on already. And it means seeing what these guys do in the playoffs. It's going to be fun. But uh, at the end of the day, it's it's mostly at this point waiting for the draft lottery and hoping that the uh, the, the Red Wings actually get some luck this year.
1: 1-20 in 20 shot. Every time I tell Brad that, he actually tries to throttle me, so uh, I try not to lean on it too much. Let's start this off with what's going to be the biggest gimme question for you all year, but it's an important one, which is Conor Bedard. Obviously going to be the first overall pick. This is, in effect, the Connor Bedard draft lottery. Um, It's the only situation in which you could win a pick where you get Adam Fantilli or Matt Mischkoff or even Leo Carlson, and you could still justifiably feel somewhat disappointed. So in the world of possible generational prospects to come through, think McDavid, think Matthews maybe, where does Bedard stack up and what could he do for an NHL team?
0: Man, this kid's really special. I think he's right in that Matthews Matthews tier of of generational prospects. I don't know if he's McDavid because McDavid has that otherworldly speed, which is the, the big reason that he's the guy that's scoring 150 points in the NHL right now, setting records, being one of the best players of all time. But I think he's one of, one of these guys that's going to come in, be a, a legitimate 30 plus goal scorer right away. A guy that's going to make a difference in, on a fur franchise, whether he plays center or wing. I know there are people that have kind of been bouncing around to either and maybe he starts on the wing, but I do think he ends up down the middle. And this is a guy that I think is going to just put up a ton of points. I think he, he probably points wise ends up somewhere between Matthews and McDavid. If Matthews is a 100 point guy on most years when he's not getting hurt and McDavid's a 150 point guy or 135 point guy on, if you want to be conservative going forward, uh, then I think, uh, Bedard kind of winds up in that 110, 115 point range in his peak. I think this kid's really, really special. And like you said, this is the, the kind of the only year where you get a, a an Adam Fantillier, you get a Matthew Mitchell or Leo Carlson, and you're like, ah, is this, this guy's garbage? Like, I, I go back to that Jack Eichel uh, draft where he was drafted right behind McDavid, and Buffalo picks Jack Eichel, and they were sour about the pick immediately, despite the fact that Jack Jack Eichel's a franchise player.
1: And if Jack Eichel had never been injured, they would still be justified in being sour because we're yep. we're watching, the listeners are gonna. Roll their eyes because i just wax poetic about mcdavid all the time but we're witnessing something that we've never seen before as hockey fans with mcdavid
0: yeah we really this kid's absolutely special mcdavid the what he's what he's doing like like i said he put up 150 points this year over 60 goals and jack eichel is a really really great player but i think he had 78 points this year or something like that like even if without his injury he was a guy that was maybe going to touch 100 it's just unfair to compare him in it to a, to mcdavid Despite the fact that in most other drafts, he probably would have gone first overall, just like Adam Fantilli outside of that 2015 and 2016 draft where Matthews and McDavid went first overall. I think Fantilli probably goes first overall. You maybe have a case for Jack Hughes, but outside of that, Fantilli is the guy.
1: So what aspects of Bedard's game stand out the most? I know anytime you're getting into a potential generational prospect, you're pretty good at a lot of things. But what makes him special? What are the attributes that are going to be at the top of his player card to say he does this and it's kind of freakish that he does it?
0: I think the first thing that stands out is obviously the shot. Um, The kid has an an outrageous release. Like, it's top five in the world possibly already. He's that good. But the thing that always stands out to me whenever I watch Conor Bernard is the fact that he's not this fast speed guy that burns guys down the middle or burns them to the outside. He plays with so much speed skill in in, in understanding of how to manipulate his opponents he'll fake in with his shoulder and come out to the outside or he'll leave the puck to the outside and as soon as the defender makes the jump to go take it he sweeps, sweeps it into the inside through their feet and through the triangle and just embarrasses them that way this kid understands how to manipulate his opponents and kind of coerce them into doing things that he wants them to do to take advantage of the spots that he, he has like I, I almost look at him as, as an nfl quarterback looking off safeties all the time he understands how to draw guys whether it's draw guys into him or draw guys over to space so that he can find his teammate this kid's so good at just understanding how to kind of toy with everyone on the ice and and basically be a puppeteer
1: so that's, that's Connor Bedard. We won't dwell on him too much. Maybe if the Red Wings win the lottery, I know, knock on wood, uh, we'll revisit it and, and talk about it some more. But, you know, it's really interesting what you said about Adam Fantilli. I know on your your draft rankings on the Hockey News, which we'll link to in this episode, you have Fantilli uh, solidly at second overall in your draft rankings. And, and you just said he would go first overall in a lot of other drafts. What kind of player is this coming through and, and what's the impact he could make for potentially, you know, the Red Wings?
0: The way I kind of look at Adam Fantilli is he's almost playmaking Austin Matthews. He's still a really good goal scorer. He plays with the power, the speed, the the kind of ability to just – take over a game in an instant he he has this really solid skating base at six foot three he's a big boy doesn't shy away from the the physicality at all and and i think the ability for him to just be a a playmaker and a, vi- a guy that has so, such good vision on the ice while still having the goal scoring ability his shot is really really good i wouldn't be shocked to see him come in and score 25 30 goals in this first full season whether that's next year or the year after it's going to be really interesting because he has the skill to pull off the Michigan. He's done it multiple times in his career. He has the finesse to be able to kind of dance around guys, spin, use the spin moves and stuff. Things we've seen like really only Austin Matthews in the last fifteen years do at that size. And maybe aside from Tate Thompson, who's been this wonderful gift to the NHL the last year or so, but really Adam Fantilli is such a complete player. The fact. He's maybe the best two-way center in the draft as well, which is really, really important. And And I think that's kind of the differentiating factor between him and Bedard. If you're going to look at one thing that Fantilli does much better than Bedard, it's the defensive game. He really understands how to play on that side of the puck, understands how to kind of control the game and and not let himself get outshot. There are times where Bedard will go, and it's a track meet. He's on the ice for four goals for, and he's on the ice for two or three goals against, and he wins that battle. But he's still going to get the shots kind of given up against him. And that's why a lot of people kind of vision Bedard on the wing at times, at least to start. Fantilli is a guy that's going to play center from day one, I think. And he's going to be a really, really good center at that.
1: Yeah, that was my next question, which was it's watching Fantilli's game. He screams to me, even as hard as it is to, to project guys to stay at center, he screams to me, uh, this guy is going to stay down the middle. And realistically, whoever drafts him should have a potential number one or at worst number two C.
0: Yeah, it's really going to be fun to watch this guy because depending on where he goes, he could be this literal franchise changing number one center. And if he goes to a team that has a number one center, say he goes to Detroit, this is a team that now has those two solid 1B centers that make up for not having like the true elite 1A. Larkin's had a really great season the last couple of years, but there's, I still see people questioning whether he's truly that 1A, one, that really solid number one center guy that can win a cup. But if you have a guy like him and Fantilli down the middle, I don't think you're questioning it because that's probably one of the best one-two punches in the league.
1: Let's jump to a player who I think through no fault of his own isn't really getting a lot of talk for being a, a potential top three pick. You know, Bedard's the story of the whole draft. Fantilli is, you know, the most exciting consolation prize that you could potentially think of. Matt Vemichkov is potentially the, the biggest variant swing in, in at the top end of this draft. And so, Leo Carlson out of the SHL isn't getting a ton of attention. And I don't think there's a lot of familiarity for folks who aren't really tuned into his game, but he is a top prospect. So, who could he be uh, coming out of the draft positionally, uh, his impact, the style of game that he has, et cetera?
0: Leo Carlson is one of my favorite players in the draft. He's so good at just about everything. He's got the skill and the size to kind of compete with an Adam Fantilli. He's like, in that regard. He's got so much of the, the offensive game that Fantilli has, and he's been doing it over in the SHL in Sweden, the one big thing is that he just doesn't have the, the defensive game at this point that Fantilli has. I think in a lot of years, Leo Carlson's looked at as kind of that high, high-end number one center that a lot of people are looking for. He's got the skill to split defenders. He's got the speed. Some people kind of harp on his skating mechanics, and while they could use a little bit of work, he's certainly not going to be a, a guy that's slow in the NHL. Uh, there's been a lot of people that compared him to matt Sundin. a lot of people that compared him kind of to henrik zetterberg and i think those are two guys that he kind of plays like he, he has that 200 foot game in flashes he just needs to kind of ra- round it out he has that high-end skill and the ability to make guys around him better and he plays with a little bit of power as well he's a guy that i've seen a number of times deke one defender and throw another on his back and, and that's really what his game's about it's kind of dominating offensively off the boards kind of dominating into the middle and in focusing everything going towards the middle that's the big thing with him is everything starts on the outside and works its way in and you see so many times prospects at this age start in the middle going up the ice and then as they get to the offensive zone as they get to danger areas they kind of fade to the outside and Carlson's a little bit of the opposite
1: I'm going to ask this question about another prospect in just a second but can Carlson realistically challenge for that second spot, either in your mind in rankings and or do you could you see a team being more interested in him than uh, Fantilli?
0: If Fantilli didn't win the Hobie Baker and do everything he did in the in the college game this year, I'd say yes. But I, I think with everything Fantilli's done in North America and showcased all the skill and everything that he has, I think he's solidly got number two locked down. But man, this kid really does deserve to be in the consideration for number two. It just happens that there's two outstanding players
1: ahead of him this year's draft class. Matt Veymichkov. <laughs> you know, when we first were hearing about Connor Bedard, we were also hearing about Matt Veymichkov, and the questions back then were actually a lot more about which one would go first, because they were doing such profound, prolific things at their ages. Michkov's profile has dropped a little bit, a lot of that because of the Russian factor, a lot of that because his the start of his season over in Russia... Uh, had limited ice time. He, his defensive woes were starting to catch up to him. But uh, he rounded things out in Sochi. An interesting prospect for geopolitical reasons and an interesting prospect in terms of the, his talent. I honestly feel like his ceiling could be way closer to Bedard than people are giving credit for, but I don't blame anyone for, for placing him as low as 4 or 5 on their rankings. So what do you make of me tough?
0: Man, this kid's really just kind of been such a, a wild ride of a prospect I, I wrote something for the hockey news the rise fall and resurgence of matt vimichkov because this this guy's profile really has gone from this generational talent challenging bedard to a guy that people i know both in and out of the league had around 10 on their draft boards at different times to a guy that's now solidified himself back in the top four and a lot of times the top three guys guy right there with leo carlson at number three and, and that's where he is on my list right now is at number three personally and the skill that this kid's had has always been there. The shooting ability has always been there. There's never been a question about that. The biggest question about H- M- Matt Mishkov is, do you play hockey in any translatable way? Because that was the big problem over in SK St. Petersburg when he was at the start of the season is, he went out there, he was playing hero hockey, he was playing like this was a video game. And at the end of the day, this isn't NHL 23. This is a g- legitimate professional hockey that he's going to be going into when he gets to the NHL in a few years. And there was a lot of questions of, is he skating himself into traffic too much? Is he attacking play weirdly to the outside? I talked how Carlson goes outside to in. Madve Mishkov would so often go inside to out, and he'd end up on, along the wall or in the corner and questioning what's the next step, and he'd take a shot, and because he's Madve Mishkov and he's playing in Russia and the VHL a lot of times early in the year, it goes in because the, the quality of talent just isn't the same as the KHL at that level. And Then he went to Sochi, and, and it was almost like the coach sat him down and went, all right, this is our system. We will give you top-line minutes if you play within it. If you don't, you're not getting top-line minutes. And he chose to play in that system, and he chose to play really well. And this kid was absolutely on fire once he got to Sochi. He was playing a more translatable game, using his teammates more. And I thought that was the biggest thing that I I wanted him to do because when he used his teammates, he was on that Bedard-Fantilli tier of, of prospects. He was a guy that understood stood how to kind of – bounce the puck off his teammates and get back into a scoring area or or use his teammates in transition and not try to deke three guys at once and that was something he tried to do so often and even going back to the summer that's what happened when he was when he got hurt and he got the knee injury is he was trying to deke too many guys at once he, and by the time he got to the third guy he got absolutely blown up by Alexi Ye- Ye- Yemelin and at the end of the day that's a kid, brash kid trying a lot of fun stuff in hockey and I'd love to see that but you have to figure out how to actually play hockey. And I think that was the biggest problem. And now that he's in Sochi and he absolutely tore it up in the KHL, went back to the MHL for the playoffs and tore it up there as well, which we should have expected because he set a record the last, last year in the MHL. It's been fun to see because he was one of the best scorers ever in the KHL, had a better season than Alexander Ovechkin, even. And while I'm not saying he's Ovechkin, he's got the talent to be one of the top pl- players coming out of this draft class without a doubt.
1: All right. So for the for the folks at home who might not know, Matt Michkov is signed in Russia through essentially the next three years. He wouldn't be available for the NHL until the 2026-2027 season. So that's three years without Michkov if you draft him. So Tony, hypothetically, let's say that wasn't the case. Let's say he could come over whenever, same time Bedard could come over, same time Fantilli would come over. Where would that move him in your rankings, if at all?
0: I I don't think you'd move him I have him at number three right now on my board and I think he'd stay there I think Fantilli just the the completeness of his game kind of puts him ahead and then Bedard's generational ability obviously puts him ahead but I think Mitchkov's right there at number three I think he's surpassed Leo Carlson in my mind who uh, like I said is Carlson's one of my favorite players in this draft class if not my favorite player in the draft class and Mitchkov's talent level is just so high I think the big thing with him is he is a winger, so you're not getting a center if you take him out of the top four. He's the only one that's not a center and probably not going to be a center going forward. I think the other three guys will. With Michkov, you're getting this highly skilled water bug winger who can score the lights out, but isn't going to give you much defensively. And I mean, at the same time, the, the Blackhawks won three cups with Patrick Kane, so it, it's, it's not something you're going to be complaining too much about.
1: Bedard Fantilli, michkov carlson most talented top four in a draft in how long?
0: Man, it probably a long time. Like I look back at that 2015 draft, and there was a, a bunch of guys. I know Marner went fourth and everything. But you had Strom go three, and Will Strom's a good player. He's not quite on that level. But yeah, I'd probably say that 2015 draft because they had Jack Eichel, Connor McDavid, Mitch Marner. You go down that list. There were so many different guys in that 2015 draft class that I think. When we look back in 10, 15 years when all those guys are getting towards the end of their career, we might compare that draft to the 2003 draft, 2004 draft. It's going to be really interesting because this draft really does have so much talent.
1: Is it funny to you you, like it is to me in a horrific way that all those years where Detroit was in the position that Anaheim's in now and they had the best odds for the top pick and they didn't get it because it was like 19% or 16% or whatever and then they changed the rules and, uh, you know, they increase the odds that the draft lottery win is going to go to the worst team, which doesn't benefit Detroit this year. And they reduce the amount of actual lottery draws from three to two, which doesn't benefit Detroit this year. And man, if they could land Meechkov or Carlson with that third one, like they can only jump into the top two. And any one of the top four picks would be amazing for the rebuild. It's like the, the lagging effect of all the changes that Detroit needed to the draft lottery because they've had no luck. Uh, if I wasn't pulling my own hair out, it would be just falling out on its own right now.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, man, Iserman and other GMs in in the, the position, I know Vancouver was also vocal about wanting to change the rules up and stuff. The rules finally got changed, but now you're too good for those rules to <laughs> benefit you. And it, it's one of those things where you, you look at it and you go, well, that'll help someone else down the line. And we're we're trying to help the greater good. But at the same time, you kind of selfishly want to help yourself. And hopefully you get the lottery luck and, and get one of those top two picks this year. Because I think either Bedard or Fantilli would absolutely change the franchise for Detroit and, and really, truly give them that ability to take that next step. And not, not only being a playoff team, but being a really competitive one.
1: Well, let's look at where Detroit is right now. Uh, Ninth best odds in the NHL draft lottery. Uh, 5% chance of winning first overall. 5.4% chance of winning second overall. Statistically speaking, they're most likely to stay ninth. So what's in play for Detroit? And I don't just mean, you know, the ninth ranked prospect. I mean, guys who could potentially fall to ninth overall. Maybe that's not Will Smith. Maybe it is. Uh, what are some players in there that Red Wings fans could potentially look forward to? And in your honest opinion, what's the ceiling of these guys? Can they get a, a potential game breaker in here? Or is this going to be just a uh, you have to temper expectations?
0: I think they can get a game breaker. I, I think they can get a game breaker of the level of a uh, Cider or Raymond. I think that's kind of the the real reality of, of picking ninth this year. Looking at my board right now, from seven to seven to ten right now, I have Oliver Moore, Sandy and Palica. Uh, Ryan Leonard at nine, Andrew Kristal and Dmitry Simashev, and, and Edward is in there. Quentin Musty's not far behind. Just ahead of that is Will Smith and Zach Benson. There's a lot of talent in this this group, and there's a lot of reason that any of those guys could go ninth and, and fall down to the, the rim, wings, or they could even reach up for a guy like like Braden Yeager or, or someone like that or 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 Gavin Brindley who had an outstanding second half of the season it, it's going to be really interesting what Detroit does because they do have kind of basically a, a wide open table of who they want obviously I think they want a right shot defenseman or they want a, a center but there's so much talent in this draft class and thankfully for them guys like Will Smith Oliver Moore um, go down the board to Braden Yeager and stuff like that there's a lot of guys that project as legitimate centers so if they're drafting a guy like that there's there's a chance that they stick it's not one of those years where there's 15 guys in the first round drafted as centers and they're not centers they play on the wing like mitch marner was drafted as a center he's a he's a winger through and through um it's like it's a really solid draft class so if they get a will smith or an oliver moore who i think are two of the most outstanding players in this draft class and they'd go top three or four in a lot of years because of the talent in this this class it, it's so much fun because they they could bring that element of dynamism and skill and offensive firepower that the the red wings have kind of been lacking a little bit so especially a guy like will smith he, he plays with so much skill plays with so much uh, it's not even that he plays with a ton of pace he plays with a, a shiftiness an east-west game that that really throws teams off because he is able to kind of Deacon dangle through, through traffic and, and seemingly never get hit. So I think that's something that, br- that'd be a really good element. Oliver Moore, another center from that NTB team played play, he plays behind will smith and plays that second line role and he plays with a lot less talent and puts up just as good numbers and when you look at the a lot of the underlying numbers they're actually better than will smith's and i think that's the intriguing thing this guy brings that speed element to the game absolutely burned college defenses whenever the ntdb played the ncaa competition and just his ability to kind of put defenders on their heels draw pressure in there's so many times where he's streaking down one of the wings uh, both defenders end up having to go over to compensate because he beats the first one. And then there's just someone open in the slot as, on the two, on the two man r- r- rush up the ice that kind of gets him an easy assist. And there's a lot of talent in that kid. So it, man, this draft class really does have a lot of guys. And if you want to go to the defenseman, Axel Sandin, Poleka Dimitri Shemeshev, Shemeshev, like there's a lot of guys in this draft class. And I know a lot of people are really high on David Reinbacher as a defenseman. A lot of people have kind of deemed him the next more insider, But I think that's a little unfair to him because I don't think he plays that same kind of style of game. If you're looking for the next more insider, I think Dmitry Simashev is the guy.
1: Oh, you just made a friend in in, uh, Max Boltman. Max did a uh, mock draft with the Athletic Detroit recently, and uh, he had Simashev as one of Detroit's picks. And now the initial reaction there for Red Wings fans is they are jam-packed at lefty to the point where even Steve Eisman, who admits nothing, says, oh, yeah, (laughs) we have too many lefty. I think he said that once. So if they draft another left side defenseman and with how soon they want to be good, you know, this brings into to play the philosophical question of is best player available? How does that trump the positional need when you have such a log jam at left side D like Detroit does?
0: Yeah, it, it's gonna be interesting because, like you said, that left side is absolutely loaded with talent up and down the board. They've got so many guys that are should be challenging in the NHL next year, and and, and sh- should be challenging the, the following year, and then their AHL lineup stacked, their overseas lineup stacked on the left side. So, it is one of those things where you have to look at the right side really, and and, and maybe avoid a guy like Simashev. But if I'm, if I'm the Red Wings, I vocalize to other teams that, that kind of want Simichev and, and have the need for left side D, then I'm taking him if he's there and, and maybe get one of them to trade up a little bit. You move back two or three spots. You still take Axel Slindy and Pelica, or a guy like Andrew Crystal falls or something like that. And you take him. And then you also get a second round pick out of it and you get another dart to throw at the board in the second round where there's going to be a lot of talent in the second round as well this year.
1: You mentioned Andrew Crystal and, uh, wow, one of the most polarizing prospects over the last few years. I I keep going back to him. I keep watching as much tape as I can, and it's an equal combination of the skills on this guy are insane, and he looks like he's skating through mud that's setting into cement, to, oh my God, these defenders are so bad, none of them are getting Gatorade after the game. <laughs> so, you know, transparently here, I'm going to qualify this by saying I'm not a big Andrew Crystal guy in terms of drafting with a top 10 pick maybe at pick 17 18 I, I, I say that's when you you take a swing but where are you on Crystal because I think you you have a different a different read than I do
0: I, I'm a little bit higher on Crystal I have him at 11 on my board right now he's a guy that every time I watch him I want to bring him down because that skating is just such a Disaster at times. You you see him not really able to kind of do his thing and he kind of has been moving her down my draft board. At one point he was up at five just because he does have so much of that skill and playmaking ability with a really good shot. I think this is a guy that if he can figure out that mobility, he could be a true dual threat guy in the NHL that scores 35 and 35 and puts up 70 points. He's, he's got everything that you want in, in, a, in a winger that has the, the, the skill and offensive mindset and just the ability to read and manipulate opponents, but that skating really is an issue, and I think that's going to be the thing that holds him back. I have him a little bit higher on my board, but he's kind of a guy that's been moving down. I wouldn't be shocked to see him finishing the year in that 17, 18 range like you mentioned because, man, there's just so many guys in this draft class that have that skating ability, have that mobility, and, and at the NHL level nowadays... That's the thing that, that makes the difference is the guys that have the, the ability to get around the ice, have the ability to burn with speed and, and just make a difference. Cause skating has become such a big thing at the NHL level. It's, it's not like it used to be 10 years ago where you can get by by being a, a lughead who just kind of gets around the ice and uses his smarts purely. So I think kristal is going to need to work on that skating. At the same time, man, the skill on this kid—it's really fun. I had one NHL scout tell me that this kid's like Mitch Marner. If he, if Mitch Marner couldn't skate, and, and <laughs> while I, I love Mitch Marner, like that—that's one of those things where it's like, man, like how good would Mitch Marner be if he couldn't skate? And that's the question I think you're asking.
1: It's it's so funny too, and I know like you know, being inside the game and being inside of rings, you know, it's not so simple as go to skating classes and get better at skating. It's, it's just not the way it works, but at the same time at the pinnacle of hockey development, like this guy is going to have so much attention on him. It just really makes me scratch my head as to why the skating is this bad. It could be, you know, something that he can't overcome. Some players are just like that. It just works out that way, but how correctable is his skating is a question that comes into my mind i don't even know necessarily if you know but it just feels like the floor is so low there could be something added just to prop him up a little bit
0: well that's just it it's one of those and i think brad mentioned it on the podcast a few weeks back when you guys were talking about kristals who didn't take a step into the the development path here who did who just ignored the skating to a point where they didn't say five years ago three years ago, two years ago, even like, this is the thing you need to work on if you want to get to the next level. And they just kind of let him do his thing. And and while it's worked out exceptionally well at the WHL level, it's damaged his pro prospects. I think a little bit, is it correctable? Certainly anything's correctable. And skating has become one of those things that is, are, are, are really correctable and easily correctable to a degree as easily correctable as something can be at the NHL level. But man, this kid's this a couple years ago, I used the term of, yeah, this guy's a step away but at the end of the day that step is two or three steps compared to a lot of other guys so it, it, i think that's where cristal is is does he need one step or does he need three and I, I think he's probably closer to the three steps
1: yeah it was you know what's funny is actually after i said that on that episode i um i got to a note that was uh pretty angry about it and uh <laughs> They made a lot of fair points. Actually, they they talked about how development paths are all different, and we can't expect everyone to be, you know, uh, <laughs> I think it was described as like a number boys, numbers boy phenom, where they're all excellent skaters and jack of all trades. And I was like, yeah, no, that's fair. So at the very least, Crystal is is talented enough to make us all be talking about him potentially as high as a top ten pick, despite the fact that he's one of the worst skaters in the draft. So uh, kudos to him and. Honestly, he's not, he, despite the fact that I'm lower on him, he's not out of my mind in terms of, you know, the Red Wings selecting him. That 17 18 pick, if they keep it and that's where the Islanders pick lands, that would be, it would be interesting.
0: Yeah, there, there's a lot of guys in that range, though. I think that's the the fun thing about having that second pick in the first round is you have so many different options depending on how the draft falls in front of you. If a Quentin Musty's there, if a Riley Heights there, an Alex Siernik, a Jaden Perron, uh, even a Dalibor Dvorsky, it, it's going to be fun to see who's kind of available at that pick because there's going to be so many opportunities for the Red Wings to add in not only another good talent, but another potentially great piece to this rebuild.
1: The Red Wings lack scoring. That's that's not a surprise. And, you know, they just got rid of uh, Tyler Bertuzzi and in the prospect pool, they have guys who produce and guys who have been very impressive in that regard when maybe we weren't expecting. We just talked to Carter Mazur on the show very recently. Uh, He was what we thought would be a Darren Helm 2.0 and he could be you know, filling in that Bertuzzi role or even better or differently. Uh, Marco Casper, again, when he was drafted, we wondered what's the limit to his offensive ceiling and he's been productive in the SHL and has a very good chance to make us all look a little silly once he gets to the NHL, presumably next year or at least he'll be pushing. Still, there are no bonafide scores, and the Red Wings, it hurt them this year, the fact that they didn't have it. A player that Brad on the podcast really has pinpointed is Colby Barlow, and I want to get your read on Colby Barlow and whether you think taking a winger with a premium pick over a potential center is worth it because of the scoring offset that he would bring.
0: So what I'll say is this, Colby Barlow at 9-8, somewhere around there, where Detroit's drafting. I'm not a huge fan of it. I think there are some deficiencies in his game that I don't think will translate to being that high, high-end score. I think he's going to be a good score at the next level. Taking him at 17-18 where that Islanders pick could land. Now, that's that's where I can start to get tasty. It's a, it's a good pick around that range. I think the big thing with Barlow is he's a very straight-line player. He gets tunnel vision. He wants to go towards the net at all times, which is great. And if you want that guy that just crashes and, and bangs and, and scores a lot from that home plate area, you're going to get that out of Kobe Barlow. I think the, the shot from distance has gotten a little bit overrated this year. There's a lot of times where I've gone back a number of times and just watched all of his goals on, on a highlight reel and, and whatnot and put it together myself and, and everything. And there's so many times where this guy takes a shot and it catches a goalie right under the arm and then just squeaks by him or it goes off the top of his shoulder and and falls into the back of the net and you're like yeah that's not gonna happen at the nhl level and there's probably 10 to 15 goals at least of his that did that this year and it's one of those things where it's like is that 46 goals who really gonna be 46 goals i think that's the the reality of it i think This is a guy that was going to challenge 50 had he not got hurt at the end of the year. And and we look at back on all the 50-goal scores in the OHL history that have gone on to be drafted. They're all pretty exceptional players. And, I mean, at the worst case, you have Arthur Kaliev, who's turning into a pretty good pro in his own right. So I think he's going to be a good goal scorer. He's going to be a good player. I don't know if he has that high-end upside of that top-line guy that some people think he does. And I think that's kind of shown in in a lot of the rankings and a lot of the the opinion of him, even amongst NHL scouts, is that while he was a top 10 pick in a lot of people's eyes early in the year, midpoint of the year, as his games started to become more and more analyzed, because that's what people do with top 10 picks, the, the flaws and deficiencies and kind of that tunnel vision I talked about of him just kind of being such a straight line guy, that started to kind of make people go, uh, maybe not a top 10 but guy maybe a top 15 top 20 for sure i think that's going to be the difference of, of where colby barlow falls
1: this gets me thinking honestly because they're they're now that we're zeroing in on the draft i think things are both kind of consolidating in terms of where rankings do and i, I don't necessarily think that's a good thing i think that's just a, a focus of more attention and conversation but there are a, a lot of uh a high variance players in this draft and I want to know who are some players on your personal lists where you're thinking, yeah, this guy have 40 spots lower than what consensus might be. Or uh, I'm way higher on this guy that some other people see as a project like second or third round pick. Does anyone stand out to you in that regard?
0: Uh, Gavin Brindley is the first guy that comes to mind. I think he's a guy that I, I'm way, way higher on the most. I think um, the way he played the first half of the year at Michigan he was absolutely outstanding the the way this guy hounds the puck he's undersized, but he really does know how to get around the ice, just absolutely annoy people in the offensive zone. He's one of the better four checkers in the draft, I think, and he has the skill to do it. I think the world Juniors were really a coming out party for him. He put on the fourth and third line there, and he was able to set up guys like like Charlie Stramlin and really make a, a difference for that team. And then when he got back to Michigan, he was one of the hottest players in college hockey in the second half of the year. And while Fantilli heated up as well, which kind of overshadowed Gavin Brindley, Brindley's been absolutely outstanding. If, he, if this kid was six feet instead of 5'10", he probably goes a lot higher in this draft than what he's going to do. Alex Siernik's another guy that does that. I think he's a, a guy that's played for Sodioli over in, in the Svenskin in Sweden. A really smart guy, just understands how to get around the ice. Uh absolutely exceptional playmaker really good shooter i think he's again one of those guys that is just a really good four checker and i think that's the big thing for me this year is i look at a lot of guys like steer like like brinley and they do a lot of those things that are pro style things that don't necessarily make it onto the score sheet they they do the four checking they're the guy that that gets the puck back for their team and then sets up the plays and, and it's not the guy that Necessarily blows things up and, and, and is that finisher like we, we see it at the the world juniors a lot of time Dvorsky is the guy that kind of gets the gets the love but it's it, so many times it, it's other guys that are setting him up, and I think that's one of the other things. And speaking of Dvorsky, he's one of the guys I'm a little bit lower on than a lot of people. I think I, I have him down in the 20s. He's a really good finisher, but a lot of the rest of his game needs work. His defensive game, he understands where to be, kind of understands how to do things uh, defensively. But I, I look at him as more of that third-line guy that has a solid game, makes the right play, but doesn't have that upside outside of that that really high-end shot. He doesn't drive play. Um, his transition game is, while the metrics sometimes come out and look really good, there's so many times where you watch him and he's just doing it in slow motion. And and then in slow motion is not going to work at the NHL level. I think that's the big difference for him. And then I mentioned him earlier, David Reinbacher, a guy that I think is a perfectly good defender, a guy that I think is a bit over aggressive. I think that he he's almost like David Juracek if David Juracek didn't have that offensive skill. David Reinbacher gets a lot of his points on the power play, a guy that gets big minutes and, and shoots a ton. I don't know how much you want your defenseman shooting at the NHL level unless they're truly high-end elite guys like Cale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, Adam Fox, who don't often shoot from the blue line. They come in, they attack the slot, they get below the dots, and that's where they're shooting from. I don't think Reinbacher's that guy. I think Reinbacher's a guy that is going to end up being a, a good power play shot maybe on the second unit. Uh, a guy that can kind of play good defensive minutes at five on five on the second pair. But I don't know if he's got that upside that a lot of people are seeing in him. Like I said, if I'm looking at defensemen and I'm looking for the next more insider which everyone seems to be wanting to do over the next few years, it's Simashev for me, not David Reinbacher.
1: I'm telling you, man. Uh, who's the next most cider? Is the this generation's version of how do you get the next Braden Point? It's going to drive me insane.
0: Yeah, it, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's such a fun topic every year now because there's like I remember last year someone asked me that on a podcast. Like, so you were you were the cider guy. Everyone, you knew you loved cider. Who's the next cider? I'm like there there just isn't one, guys. Like that's just not a thing every year. Like that was very much the exception, not the rule. And I think that's the same thing this year. And as much as I love Simashev. I don't think he's more outsider, and that's that's the thing about the draft. Is everyone every year goes who's the next blank and insert recent surprise draft pick,
1: and and right now it's more outsider. If you knew, they'd be going first or second overall. That's the yeah, exactly. Uh, a guy I'm zeroing in on is Nate Danielson and the reason I'm zeroing in on him is not because I'm looking at this objectively Or on a blank slate. I'm thinking what did the Red Wings need and with two first-round picks? I'm thinking wow it would be really great for pick 18 for example where pick 9 they they take a swing at someone with a high ceiling and pick 18 They grab someone who could potentially reliably be part of a 1-2-3 punch with Larkin Casper Danielson I, I see him as a a I really, I mean, you describe him as a very like NHL ready style of game. Does a lot of things effectively. I don't think he's like too plain Jane in terms of what he does. Does he have the flashy numbers? No, but this is a, a guy for me where I kind of understand the top ten projection projections some folks have. But he could be a center solution for a team like Detroit who maybe doesn't have the option to take a, an Adam Fantilli.
0: Yeah, Nate Danielson's a really fun player. The transition game is what wows me every time I watch him. He he needs to work on kind of figuring out the offensive zone, figuring out the defensive zone. But with that said, he's got a really good shot. He understands how to make passes throughout the offensive zone. That's not the question. It's that sustained zone time and, and working the cycles and everything like that that Danielson needs to just refine a little bit. I don't think he's bad at anything in the offensive zone. It's just that little refinement that's going to make him that uh, that next next level player. I think he he doesn't produce a ton of highlight reel content but he's a guy that just understands how to get around the ice and in that transition game we see it so much in the nhl it's become such an important thing whether it's Nikolai ehlers william nylander dylan Larkin, even philip zadina excels at that getting that puck from the defensive zone to the offensive zone is so important it's such an integral part of the nhl game nowadays nate dennison does that among the best in this draft class he understands how to do it at pace change speed up control the puck understands how to protect it when he's getting around defenders, kind of puts it out to the outside or inside. He can control the puck on his backhand. I think there's so many little things that this guy does through the neutral zone that really make him a, an interesting option. And like you said, if he's your third-line center going forward and down the line, that's a really, really solid third-line center. I think you look at a, the, that trio of him, Larkin, and Casper down the line – that could be a really deep and underrated like it's it's a trio of centers that i think a lot of people would go ah that's fine and then when you watch them you go oh my god we got just got our asses kicked by (laughs) nate danielson and marco casper after larkin scored on us twice like that's that's the kind of center nate danielson is all
1: right getting into some more you know broad strokes questions here uh fool's gold are there any players where you think they're they're rated high right now Uh, or rated too high compared to where they should be and they're going to stay there they are generally the consensus loves these players but you think "Eh, stay away not worth the draft capital that's going to go towards them
0: the guy that comes to mind immediately is braden Yeager. i think there's a lot of people that view this guy as a two-way beast a, a guy that understands how to play the defensive game as well as he is offensive and I just, I don't see it with him on defensive end of the ice, especially. He's got a great shot. There's no doubt about the fact that this guy's a really good shooter. Um When I talked to him earlier this year, he, he was very much aware that, like, defensively he needs to continue to work and he wants to watch patrice bergeron and he needs to do all these things and like all of that's good and well but when you're on the ice and when you watch the tape there's so many times where he kind of swings his stick as a guy flies by and uh, it'll take a penalty at times or other times it just bounces off the shin pads and, and then he becomes a non-factor i think you know brayden yeager he has the offensive game in terms of a, a goal score. I think he probably winds up as a, a, a winger at the next level because he is more of that complimentary ride shotgun, let the guy on your line set you up and, and be that goal scorer. But then there are so many times where he just kind of floats around offensively. So this is a guy that gets taken with a top 10 pick. I don't know. Maybe if it's Iserman, I trust it because it just seems to work out when he makes the pick. But if it's, if it's another team, I'm, I'm probably going to question it because, man, like there are some real flaws in that two way center profile that he's been given.
1: Now the inverse, maybe guys who you would probably view as your favorites, diamonds in the rough. Again, I'm not asking you to pick out the next Braden Point because then he'd go first or second overall. Uh, but someone where you think they're not getting the love that they deserve, uh, wherever they're rated, and you you think whatever team's going to get him is going to uh, really get a lot of bang for their buck.
0: I'll, I'll give you a couple. The first guy I'm going to bring up is Otto Stenberg, because he's a guy that I think a lot of people had high up early in the year and have dropped down their boards immensely throughout the year. And the, he has, He's had a really good second half. He's been really good in the SHL, showed, showed that he's able to kind of well, – while he's not producing, he's playing really well. I, I think there's a lot to like about Otto Stenberg, the skill, the playmaking ability, just the shitheadery sometimes. I, I remember I watched the Four Nations tournament in Plymouth uh, a few months back. He was there and he was a guy that he scored off a defender, uh, when he, they were playing against the US and he walked up to the defender and like gave him a thumbs up, like just stuff like that. You love seeing that, that attitude, that, that willingness to kind of get in your opponent's head and, and get in your opponent's brain because like that's just what this guy does. And then he has the skill and the speed and the, the ability in transition to back it up. I think against his own age group, he's absolutely exceptional. He just needs some time to f- physically mature. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing with him. William Whitelaw is another guy that I think is kind of in the same vein. He's really small. 5'8", 5'9", is where he's listed at. But the skill and the, the playmaking ability that this kid has, along with just the cheeky goal scoring that he has. He's, I, when I interviewed him recently, there's a lot of times I'm watching his play, and this isn't necessarily translatable to the NHL, but it's becoming more prominent. That high dump in where they throw it over all the defenders and you, you have a forward skate onto it. William Whitelaw is so good at that and he tracks it like an NFL wide receiver looking over his shoulder watching the puck fall on his stick and then making a great play so I think he's another guy uh Tom Willanders another Swedish defenseman that I think would be really really good right shot guy if you draft him in the mid first round or late second or late first round I think that's a really good pick that a lot of people are gonna go why the hell did you do that but he plays with so much understanding of what's needed at the next step he he Plays a little bit more reserved than I'd like him to because he has the skill and the, the, the skating ability to be a guy that pushes the pace a little bit more. But if he can kind of develop that killer instinct a little bit down the line as he matures and gets more comfortable playing against men and whatnot, that's where you're really looking for him to take over. And I think those are the kind of defensemen that you look at is the guys that can do it but understand that they don't need to do it all the time. And I think that's what Willander does.
1: Now, this is about the season where players start to really affect their draft stock, partially because not everyone's playing and partially because we're getting into, you know, CHL playoffs are underway. There's still hockey going on. Are there any players who you think are already rising or are poised to have a meteoric rise? And then even the inverse, if there's anyone who you think is going to start sinking like a rock.
0: Well, the guys that I think are going to rise, I think I'll give you two OHLers. I think Nick Lardis and, and Luca Pinelli are the two guys. I think Nick Lardis had an outstanding second half of the year. He got traded from Peterborough to Hamilton and then became the best goal scorer in the OHL. Um, it was outstanding. He finished second behind Colby Barlow and, or third behind Colby Barlow and Quentin Musty in terms of goal scoring. This guy was an absolute stud in the second half with, with, uh, Hamilton Bulldogs. He was able to kind of, go out and, and showcase all of the things he wasn't getting a chance to do with the with the peter repeats and then luke Pinelli's had an absolutely outstanding playoffs with the ottawa 67s 12 points in the first round series there's so much reliance on a younger group in, in ottawa it's really fun to watch so i think those guys would be the two that i think are going to take a, a little bit of a rise and could go a little bit higher than a lot of people give him credit
1: for all right and last one for you here the uh the second round is uh but what a lot of people are asking about Detroit has a wealth of picks um, three in the second round for this season before trades, uh, which I expect may happen. But are there any guys who you think are going to be in and around that range, which you think would be a good project or, or could be had with a second round pick, but potentially, uh, you know, higher round quality?
0: Well, Tom Willander, I already mentioned, I think he could be right in that range. I think Martin Misiak is a guy that came over, plays for the Youngtown Phantoms now, a Slovakian kid who played pro over in Slovakia, is one of the best transition and four checkers in the draft. This kid's absolutely fun. So much fun to watch. I think he's the guy that... You, you look at in the next level and you go, you put him on a second line. He's going to make a big difference. Just doing all the little things, doing those Tyler Batuzzi things where he's working the puck back. He's getting the puck, uh, deep in the zone and kind of doing a lot of the things that you want. A, a secondary complimentary score to do and i think he does a lot of those really well uh, i looked down the list a little bit timur mukanov is a russian kid that has all the skill in the world plays with so much uh just he, he you can just tell he's smarter than a lot of the players on the ice over in russia and, and that's the big thing with him he plays the speed and skill um grayson sachin's a fantastic player in seattle within the whl doesn't get as much uh play time as you'd expect a player of his skill level to get because that Seattle team is an absolute wagon but every time he's on the ice you go wow this kid is absolutely fantastic and I think he's a guy that could go early in the second round when you look at defenders I think uh Tanner Melendix the left-handed shot guy but he's an absolute he's one of these guys that you every time you watch him you go there should be more offensive production there even if there isn't he's a guy that excels in transition I think Luke Stregasavich could be a really interesting pick in the second round because He's putting up so many numbers. He's just absolutely firing in all cylinders in, in the WHL with Tri-City. Uh, he'll get a chance to do so with Canada at the U18s as well. And the big thing with him is the skating is there. The offensive game is there. Defensively, there's a ton of question marks. And sometimes you ask, is the offense there? Because Tri-City goes, we don't have much else. Please go do it. And, and that seems to be the case sometimes. So he could be an interesting pick because it's a project, but all the skills are there. You just need to work on, on rounding out that defensive game. And it's not like he's a small defender either. He's six foot two, if I'm not mistaken. So he's a guy that I think could be a really interesting pick in that range as well. And then Danil Boots, another guy I'll give you just a Russian kid that if you like Colby Barlow, draft Danil Boot in the second round, because this kid could be everything that Colby Barlow is and more. And you're going to get him a lot, 30, 40 picks later than Colby Barlow probably. <laughs>
1: All right, Tony, phenomenal, phenomenal coverage as well. Uh, Or as always, I should say, thank you so much. Uh, Folks, follow Tony Ferrari at the Tony Ferrari on Twitter and his work on the hockey news leading up to the NHL draft. It is, you know, top tier stuff. You're always smarter reading uh, Tony's work and listening to him. Uh, Tony, uh, let us know where we can find your work. Do a better plug job than I can do.
0: Oh, you can find all my work at the, the Tony Ferrari on Twitter. Uh, all my stuff is going to be coming out for the draft over the next few months. The last draft ranking I released on the website was back in November, just before the World Juniors. So there's one coming sh- shortly, probably just after the World Under 18s before the Memorial Cup. That'll be my final draft ranking of the year, at least publicly. And that'll be where you get all the information. Cause I, I, I try to give you a, a little bit of a detailed schedule report, at least on the top 50 guys this year at the end of the year. So definitely check that out.
1: Much appreciated, Tony. Thank you again for jumping on the show. I believe you have a puppy that's asking for your attention, so we'll let you go. Yeah. Until next time, man. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. And we're back. That was our interview with Tony Ferrari. Uh, like I mentioned before, excellent in-depth look at the first round. A lot to be excited for, just because Red Wings fans aren't, you know, statistically likely to see Connor Bedard uh, with the first overall pick, or you know, Fantelli or Michikov or Carlson or whoever with the second overall pick. There's quite a lot to look forward to that said uh the odds aren't great but let's spin the wheel just for fun we're gonna run a tankathon and simulate the 2023 nhl draft lottery uh which as it's happening live by the way on may 8th we will be live streaming that so you can see our pain in real time watch brad's grimace turn even more grimacy so without further ado let's simulate this lottery and detroit moves from nine all the way to nine and sticks with the ninth overall pick so yeah
2: i ran one two simultaneously and uh Maybe worst case scenario, Montreal gets Connor Bedard, and Detroit stays at nine.
1: Who got second in yours? Anaheim. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think I think the NHL's worst nightmare is if uh, uh, Bedard goes back out west. Not to say he won't do great in in San Jose and help you know push a lot in that market or anything, but having McDavid and Bedard out west would be not good. They're, yeah, in terms of optimizing money, they wouldn't be thrilled about that. So ninth could still mean you know more. It could still mean Benson, depending on how you feel. Dvorsky, uh, Ryan Leonard, Jaeger. There's a lot of options there, as uh, as Tony just talked to us about. So quite a bit there. So Detroit also owns, as we know, uh, the New York Islanders' first round pick in this draft as well, and that pick is most likely to be 18th overall, uh, unless the Uh, Islanders make the conference finals which they're not exactly set up to do right now but we'll see they still could do it and Florida's progress also uh, uh, factors into that as well it could force them to uh, force that pick actually to 17th but is most likely uh, 18th overall unless the Islanders make it to the conference
3: finals both those teams are down 3-1 right now so you know we're not writing it in pen yet but we've opened the pencil case it does look that way
1: Speaking of the playoffs, let's let's take a look at what's happening right now. Uh we mentioned I think near the top near the top of the show Tyler Bertuzzi and the Boston Bruins are doing, doing as expected against Florida up 3-1 in that series already and who's surprised by Bertuzzi right now. Like this guy's going to get his bag in the summer and his big sticking point with the Red Wings was term wanted that 7 years and and the Red Wings weren't willing really to do that especially at the number that he command and With how he's playing so far, it's looking way more likely than I would have given it credit for before.
3: This is how you build a cup contender. Uh, The only option the Red Wings have had as their first line left winger for what feels like four years goes to a good team, plays way down their lineup, but still produces like he did on the Red Wings first line, and all of a sudden that team's up 3-1 in their series. And when that player has the exact profile you dream about going into a playoff series... None of this is surprising.
2: Yeah, the Boston Bruins really did get exactly what they were looking for in Tyler Bertuzzi. And they got the Bertuzzi that they were hoping they would get. So, yeah, I'm not all that shocked. I don't think really anyone is, though.
1: Speaking of not shocking, Toronto, Tampa Bay. It's going to be a bloody mess. Kyle Dubas yelling at the fans was like the least angry person in uh, in that entire arena the brawl that happened, Stamkos essentially. (laughs) I think Matthews was collecting sticks when Stamkos went after him to basically force the referees to give him a five-minute major. That series is a mess, and as a neutral observer, it's a mess in the best of ways.
3: Oh, it's crazy, and I loved Sheldon Keefe's presser comments about what Stamkos was doing there, saying, oh, he knew they were going to be shorthanded and the refs wouldn't ever put them down two men for a full two minutes, and while he's right that the rest would never do that. I, I love that coaches think that players in the heat of this moment have anything on their minds other than I want to punch that guy in the face. So I'm going to punch that guy in the face. Cause I think that's all it was, but it was just fantastic entertainment.
1: Really? I do think, I think there is a little strategy going on there
3: in terms of like how you can play in certain situations and i don't even mean that in a scrum like generally coaches know if you know you've killed three penalties in a row you're not likely getting the next one so don't be you know worried to throw that hit a a second or two late don't be afraid to be a little more aggressive in front of the net because you're not likely but when you're in a scrum and there's fights and your play your buddy just got hurt and everybody's grabbing someone there's not a player alive who's thinking, I wonder how I can uh, play the numbers on this one. It Hockey players are meatheads in the best and worst of ways. So, you know, the the meathead Braden takes over there and it's just sea blue, punch blue.
1: I like how there is a uh, preemptive complaining about how Bunting is going to have to walk such a fine line. He's going to get called for like the most ticky tacky stuff in the playoffs. And the first thing he does is go clock a guy in the Jaw with his shoulder off the puck and get suspended for three games. And even the biggest bunting defenders are like, oh, Michael, why? Why, why, why? You think he'd know better in his old age.
3: Well, decades of experience, uh, I guess, doesn't really get rid of the hockey meathead brain. Speaking
2: of um, a player that the team got exactly what they were looking for, uh, Ryan O'Reilly has been exactly as advertised for Toronto. Needed a guy to kind of, you know, build up the depth on that. And last game, he was amazing. Um, Couldn't have really asked for much more from him. And uh, yeah, what a great trade by Kyle Dubas on on that one.
1: Yeah, that that one's put it in the column of not surprising. Like the right mix of actual talent, but also the kind of playoff player that's not just been there and done that, but plays the kind of game that Toronto needs to. Previous versions of Toronto, as we've seen demonstrably over time, would have not been able to step up to what's happening in the series right now. But, hey, they're up 2-1. They needed that overtime coin flip, but that's what wins you games and, and puts you ahead in series. So, honestly, it's just been fun to watch. Uh, Carolina up 3-1 on, on the Islanders and uh, the Rangers up 2-1 on New Jersey. That one you know, could have gone in a different direction, but Dougie Hamilton saved uh, New Jersey from going down 3-0 uh, with his overtime goal, I believe it was. So, uh, the East is, it's not like Toronto and and Tampa Bay are are leading the charge in terms of interesting series. And in the West, there's it's been way closer than I thought it would be. Like across the board it's been way closer than I thought it would be.
2: The um the Vegas Winnipeg game last night was was a was excellent. Um Vegas was up 4-1 in the third and and Winnipeg was able to claw their way back into the game and force overtime. Like that series is really really good. My
1: my bold prediction, I tried to uh fit a sweep into my bracket every year which is just dumb like I shouldn't do it if I don't actually think there will be one and sweeps are so hard to do in the NHL <laughs> and the f- the first sweep I predicted was Oilers over the Kings which has just been stupid in every way we are not going to dive into that whole stupid review drama and and the puck hitting the stick and I, I just can't I can't with it I I hate the, argument. Why not, I hate the Ryan? argument I hate why
3: not Ryan I
1: hate the arguments about the argument. There's actually a video like the first video I saw of it because like I said, I was away on holiday So I've been doing a lot of catch-up the first video I saw of it was actually the puck definitively hitting the blade and I was like and then I came back to it like three hours later And I saw everything that happened before and I went I'm so happy. I wasn't here for that, but Connor McDavid Edmonton Oilers they have like this is going to be a way tougher test than I think what a lot of people gave credit for and and it shouldn't be a surprise. Like You have idiots like me predicting a sweep because I want McDavid to play more playoff hockey, but LA could make a make for a very painful year for Connor McDavid and, and Leon settle here if if this doesn't turn around.
3: I mean, LA only finished a few points behind them. They were right there in lockstep with them all year and upgraded their goaltending at the deadline, which Edmonton didn't do, and that's not to say Stuart Skinner is the reason Edmonton's losing the series. He's not. But um, this is going to be, I don't know how else to phrase it. This is the series that concerns me the most of all in the first round, but not because of any implications on this season, because this is a good case study on a team really trying to shut down a faster, more skilled team by any means necessary. And it's working so far. And the penalty differential is not in Edmonton's favor, which is curious given the way this series is going. I think actually in terms of penalty differential in the first round, the Oilers are, you know, quote unquote, getting screwed the most. And yeah, it's, uh, you want the fast skilled teams to win when you have no bearing on the series, because that's what you want the NHL to be more of. But man, LA is putting on a clinic in how to slow down McDavid and Trisaddle. And let me be clear. I say slow down, not stop you can't fully stop them and yeah, mcdavid had two goals last game that's yeah. that's slowing him
2: down
1: <laughs> minnesota dallas and uh colorado seattle those are two other series where i think the results have been at least somewhat surprising first of all credit to minnesota that is a tough team to play there's a lot of conversation heading into the playoffs about you know teams don't like colorado didn't want to play minnesota for example um I'm a big believer in what Dallas can do in these playoffs in terms of a, a pick that I think I'm maybe wrong about is I, I didn't have Dallas coming out of the West. And then as I submitted that, I thought mm, Dallas really is kind of constructed in a way where they could surprise people. But Minnesota's up two one. And for the record, we're recording on Sunday at about 730. So, you know, Edmonton uh, and L.A. are going to be playing game four later tonight. So we don't know the results of that yet. And then similarly Seattle with Colorado like Seattle's not looked completely lost against a very strong and deceptively strong Colorado team uh you know throughout the year they dealt with a lot of injury but uh Seattle's you know for their first playoffs they've they've shown reasonably well so far.
3: Well, Seattle what they have going for them is You know, you see this trope in movies all the time, but I guess it applies here. They have nothing to lose. There's no expectations. They're playing free. They're playing loose. They're playing with a ton of hype because it's their first playoff series. So they're going in there with a blank check and a ton of energy. I still don't expect them to be Colorado because, I mean, Colorado's Colorado, but they do have a good recipe to give Colorado a fight exactly like they've been doing.
2: Yeah, Seattle certainly doesn't look out of place or out of the league in this series. Like, you know, I I wouldn't be shocked if they get another game, you know. This this series a lot is a lot closer than I thought it it would actually would be.
1: Speaking of playoffs and their coverage, newsy's been on the Sportsnet panel. Red Wings head coach Derek Lalone. Yeah, he's done a good job. It's uh it's very evident, you know, hearing a coach talk is always really interesting. I think it's also really funny hearing coaches talk because coaches are often former players. Not like the most I don't know how to describe this, the most like TV articulated. Like they know the game so well, but if you're not talking to a room, it just doesn't come out the same way. And that is not the case with Newsy at all. Like he took to it really well. The way it's, uh, he's kind of informing the viewers was really excellent. That was awesome to see. And honestly, for where the Red Wings have been in terms of league coverage, which is, you know, the bottom of the league oftentimes, it's very, uh, it's very unique. And bizarre to see a Red Wings coach get the spotlight for the first time since like Mike Babcock. So credit to Newsy. He's he's done an excellent job on that panel.
3: I love listening to hockey, like high-level hockey coaches talk in a setting where they're they don't feel like they're giving away state secrets because we've talked a million times about like how your average hockey fan doesn't understand just how good a bad NHL hockey player is. We as fans have no clue how these coaches think at just a different level. And they see things and they understand things and they plan for things that would never even register in our heads. So getting Lalone in a setting where he's obviously not going to go into uh, too much depth because obviously that would be boring for the listener or for 90% of the listeners at least. But just to see the way he you know, views the game and what he's looking for in a certain scenario on a power play, on a penalty kill, on whatever. And he's been really good at articulating it in a simple way to everybody listening in an entertaining way. And I just, I love listening to stuff like that in that setting where it has no bearing on the Red Wings for him specifically. He did say we, when talking
2: about Tampa uh, uh, during one of the, the games and I was like, wait a second. What uh, do
1: you mean, we? <laughs> you can say we all he wants, but that means he has to bring Braden Point over after. That's right. It's fine by me. Yeah, I, I, it's a really good point, Brad, about, you know, when they don't feel like they have to be guarded and they're not, you know, protecting state secrets. I think it's a really funny way to put it. But oftentimes people conflate coaches intentionally being vague and not wanting to give away too much and just uh, diverting to like easy meaningless platitudes as oh they actually don't know a lot and they're simple it no they're they're masking it they, they don't mind at all seeming dumb or vapid or, or, or shallow in terms of intelligence because they don't want to give away entire game plans and that's the job of media right to try to squeeze it out of them and get something interesting and coaches are like well I'm in game four of this intense playoff series and I don't want to you know tip my hand but yeah he's uh his team's not playing right now they're golfing so and for it's really 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 interesting as you've both you know, kind of alluded to here. He's talking about his former team. He knows it. he was in their systems. He was drawing up plays. He was working with these players, you know, 12 months ago or whatever it was. This is not foreign to him. He's not guessing like this is, it's very much, I mean, on a, on a different level here, but Tony Romo, right after he retired and in the booth, like he was calling out plays from the booth because he was just, it was so recent for him. So it's cool for hockey fans.
2: Yeah, they're excellent sports minds, but they're also very good at articulating those thoughts that they have and the things that they they understand from the game. So um, I know Tony Romo, I think, has done well for the NFL and sort of bringing that to light. And I think Derek Lalonde has done an amazing job on Sportsnet so far.
3: And it's funny, too. There is one that kind of is the opposite of what we're talking about with coaches here, where We, we, we tend to galaxy brain some things. And I was watching when he was breaking down Tampa's penalty kill. And we always talk about these fancy systems, cross ice passes, whatever. And he's like, yeah, they're playing a diamond. Take the space. You can
2: tell because of the shape. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, we're not looking for anything fancy. We're not looking to just take what they give you. So when they're in a diamond, you're going to have here, here, take it. (laughs) It's like, all right. Yeah. I guess that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well, the as the playoffs go on, I'm sure we're going to get more excellent coverage from Newsy and we are going to be covering uh, as the playoffs unfold probably over the next couple of episodes where you're going to have some certainty in terms of where the Red Wings are going to be um, picking hypothetically before uh, the draft lottery as that may affect their pick, but definitely with the Islanders pick uh, if that series ends. Uh, so we'll know more on that front. Uh, for now, why don't we jump into, uh, overtime, overtime in this episode of the winged wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, if this is something that you're able to do and willing to do, uh, and just go the extra mile to help support the show it or the patrons are the lifeblood of the show, um, Everything that we managed to do, Winged Wheel Podcast, nights at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings, expanding the Winged Wheel Podcast content network to uh, include Expected by Whom, uh, hosted by Sean Shapiro and Prashanth Iyer, our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. It's all because of patrons. Um, The bonus episodes, the Discord, the giveaways, and so much more are some of the benefits to joining the so-called Dub Dub Club, so patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Let's take some questions before we wrap up tonight. Uh, Reed Matthews says, "Hey guys, of all the first round games that have been played, which series has stood out the most? Which team? What player? And why is it officiating?" Careful, Reed. We're not doing that right now. Uh, I'll I'll take the lead on this one. It's Tampa Toronto, and I know it was meant to be Tampa Toronto. Everyone was paying attention to Tampa Toronto. You have the most cursed, uh, hilariously falling over their own feet team of all time, and the. Uh, You know, three straight Stanley Cup finals, this team hanging on to to try to maintain Cup dominance in Tampa Bay. Uh, It's lived up to everything so far over the first three games, and it doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon. And I I don't care about the officiating. Everything has been good outside of that.
3: Uh, For the sake of picking something different, I'll go Vegas, Winnipeg. Very unexpectedly entertaining series, high pace physical close games for the most part it's that series has been a very very pleasant surprise because you know you generally watch one of the late series sometimes too so that's the one i've been keeping a close eye on
2: the one uh well for me other than those two because those were my first two uh, i'll do the battle of uh new york new jersey um you've got you know the Devils, who are, who are one of the best teams in the regular season, going up against the Rangers, who are sort of that savvy veteran team, been there, done that, who bring in a bunch of veteran players like Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko. And the Rangers are up 2-1 in that series. Um, I think maybe a lot of Devils fans are, are a bit surprised, but uh, that sort of cross cross-the-bridge rivalry has actually been really good. Woodson2
1: says, hey, guys, I love the pod and so happy to see all the success. Thank you, Woodson. Really appreciate that. Uh says, if the Wings end up ninth, is there any chance they trade the pick, either moving back or for a more NHL-ready player to a rebuilder? Also, summer video content idea, Ryan and Brad versus Evan in golf. We're all still betting on Evan, but still. Ooh, a little best ball between me and Brad up against Evan?
3: Oh, I thought we were just going to go uh, who can get more strokes because I'd like our odds on that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would actually beat both of you combined, I think.
1: Um, Is there a chance the Red Wings end up moving ninth overall? I actually don't think it's impossible if they move back or trade for more NHL-ready player, but you have to understand that that NHL-ready player won't be like, don't think like Ryan O'Reilly like Toronto did. It would have to be someone younger who would factor into the future for a long time. Um, Those kinds of trades don't happen often in the NHL, but I could see a world where, you know, if the Red Wings do end up sticking at ninth in the first eight picks, Steve Eisman just doesn't like who goes before and who's left at nine. Uh, I could see that pick being moved for sure. I do think it's more likely that they move up with either the second pick or even potentially the first pick using their second round
3: picks to to buffer it. I think everything's on the table, and I don't think Eisman knows what he wants to do, what his plan with that pick is. If you look at what Ottawa did last year to get Alex to it, Detroit could do something exactly like that. They have the ammo to almost I, to replicate that trade. It could be for Alex to bring it. It could be for Kyle Connor. It could be for somebody else. We don't know who. Um, again, and they need impact talent more than anything else. So, yeah, trade up very much on the board. They've got two first round picks and three high second round picks. If they wanted to get up to pick five, six, they could probably do so pretty easily. Would they want to pay that price? Well, we don't know that and we'll never know that, but they could do it comfortably uh, with all the assets they have. Um, And notice I said five, not four before anybody starts asking about that because that's a whole different ballpark. Um, And like Ryan alluded to, if the first eight picks fall in the exact way that Steve Eisenman doesn't like, trade back. Why not get more? If if you've got two tiers of players, both of them eight players deep, and all eight of your first tiers gone by pick nine, hypothetically, I know how long but how long odds that would be. Move back and get two guy, get an extra guy in that tier, get an extra second round pick, get an extra prospect. I don't know, but everything's on the table, and I don't think we're gonna have a definitive answer on this uh, up until the draft.
2: Yeah, this is the, if the Red Wings do draft ninth, this is the one year where I really have no feeling whether they move. I won't feel either way if they move up or move back. Like, I think I'm pretty indifferent with the the, the strategy they decide to go with because the draft is so deep and you never know what other teams are going to do.
1: All right, let's take at least one more here. From Give Wellman the Heart says uh, Based on Eiseman's comments on the future, it seems like the Wings need and expect some of the young players to make substantial leaps forward next season. Which of the following do you think is most likely? Valeno, 40 point season, Zadina, 50 point season, Rasmussen, 60 point season, or Raymond, 70 point season? In order, in my opinion, Raymond, 70, Valeno, 40, Rasmussen, 60, Zadina, 50. Sorry, Phil.
3: I'll go Raymond, 70, Valeno, 40. I think the last two would take a miracle either way. So Big I'll gap. go, yeah, uh, pick whatever way you want. I'll go Rasmussen, 60, Zadina, 50.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you guys. I think Zadina is the the last place one.
1: And uh, let's say one more here from Linda Hall says, uh, how did this year's NTDP forwards compare to those from the Jack Hughes draft? Thanks boys.
3: Uh, don't think you're going to get the depth that that one had. Cause that, that one, you had what, five, six guys turn into like good NHL players already, which is crazy. And Alex Turcott is not looking the part of a fifth overall pick to this point too, which makes it even crazier. Um, I don't like this group as much as that group, but it's not far off. Uh, Will Smith is going to be a player. Ryan Leonard is going to be a player. Uh, Oliver Moore is going to be a player. And even Gabe perot he's the leading scorer of the bunch. So I think all four of those guys have a legit shot to be you know, top line, top six NHL forwards and be impactful in that role.
1: All right, folks, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're going to be back with you uh, midweek with the continuation of our Red Wings season in review series, where we take a look at the forwards, goalies, coaching, and more. Uh, Thank you all so, so much for uh, tuning in, for your support of the show, the expanded Winged Wheel Podcast content network, Wings Money on the Board, and our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, And uh, for those of you who have been able to uh, supporting us on Patreon, it means the world. All of our listeners, new and old, thank you so much, and all of our patrons, including our name level sponsors, thank you. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels, on behalf of the Garon Foundation, Aikfur Bertuzzi is straight up missing. Nick Perks, Icon, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all. Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burkers, Meals on Wheels. Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landeskog, Bros Before Hosas, Carl Brutina Nanoluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Matt, how did these dummies become industry professionals? No offense. Hassan al some offense taken the appropriate amount. Jake Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaelin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Enceladus Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Ryan, The Ryan Hannah, Hannah, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, Shahid Syed, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciates About You, Walman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Gowitska, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, C.J. Wilkinson, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor Leighton, Corey Preeta, Darren Fick, Evans Short, Gorm Goals, Evans 2018 Kitchener Road Puddles, Frank Stanley, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Adobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Angles, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ophelia Reed, Stephen, Tatar Sauce, and The Hodag. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you midweek.